Thank God it's Friday. You're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week I am joined by co-founder, managing editor and writer of The Underseen, Andres. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, so polite. You're welcome. Canadian, always. I was going to say, well... (laughs) I think you're only the third Canadian I've had, and everyone is super polite. That's fine. I I, I have a few friends slash work acquaintances who suck, but for the most part, <laughs> I think we're kind of nice. Uh, I think you are always nice, not kind of <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do, because I know you do a lot more than what I introduced you with. You're You're everywhere. I am everywhere, and it's uh, it's both exhausting and exhilarating sometimes. But um, mostly, I think right now I've sort of stepped a bit back from writing for the underseen just because I've wanted to uh, try something else. So you can also, I've been writing for FilmCred, Council of Zoom, um, and mostly I think it's uh, been like essays and stuff that I've been focusing elsewhere, like a lot of my uh, main reviews I've stick to I've stuck with the underseen, but it's um, it's been something I've been trying to expand on because I've been doing writing online in some capacity f- for about six years, awesome. and um, it, it's something that I think I've been doing mostly during like with a day job that I didn't really notice how long I've been doing it, um, but sadly and. Thankfully to the recent pandemic, I've been able to like focus on it and like really expand on what I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, so I write, I edit uh, a bit at both those other places. Um, and it's been really good. And I like meeting people and other yeah. film critics, friends on Twitter. Oh, that's and it's so weird that you say that because I never really used Twitter until I got into, like, doing horror movie stuff. And mm-hmm. now I'm on Twitter 24-7. I, I was on it. I'd scroll through it, like, once or twice a day, and I would just retweet this thing, reply to that thing, nothing at all. And then, for some reason, people still followed me. And, like, <laughs> I, I don't understand why, but then eventually I was like, oh, I need to use this properly. And I started replying to people and messaging people. And I'm now I'm like... I'm making friends and it's nice. It's, is this, it's is this what it's for? Is this what we're supposed to, is this what social media is about? Yeah. That's like me. I just shit post on Twitter and I'm like, why are these people following me? Stop it. Some days I'm, I, I, I would tweet something and I get no reactions. And the next morning I'd, I'd be like, you guys fucked up. This was a good post. <laughs> I was like, that was a great I was like, that was a great tweet, and nobody reacted to it, and now I'm upset, but it's also your fault. Because you slept on it. Yes. You slept on that. <laughs> That's me with every tweet. I'm just like, this This should have been viral. This tweet should have been viral. What the fuck? And it's, always, and it's always like the things that you don't expect to be viral that yeah. are the ones that become it. I retweeted, you know that, I can't remember the name of the profile, but it's a photographer, they're a photographer, and they just take some of the coolest photos I've ever seen. And I retweeted a photo, and it was just like, this is my dream horror movie aesthetic. 
and it got like 400 retweets and i was just holy like, what see yeah i'm not that viral but still that's still <laughs> i was like this it's... wasn't even me this was that's not me <laughs> is it one of the i think i know might know who you're talking about too is it like the one with like the reddish yeah Oh, I I wish I can remember who it is right off the uh, top of my head. With a, a B. I you know what? I will find out what it is and I'll put it in the show notes because the profile is so cool. I love seeing their photos come up. Uh the photo that I retweeted was like a picture of a like a, a church in the south of uh like the Bible belt and it had like a massive cross on it and it kind of looked like true blood meets like neon demon. And I was like, Yeah, this is it. This I love that. That sounds photo. amazing. Yeah. I've not seen True Blood, but that sounds amazing. Uh, well, you can check out my True Blood rewatch podcast. <laughs> you can watch along. It's just me and a friend talking shit about True Blood, how much we hate slash love the show. Those are the best. It's really good. A lot of it doesn't hold up. I'll tell you that much. That's okay. There, there's a bunch of shows that I still like rewatch, and and even like yesterday, I watched the newest episode of the flash and i'm like i still watch this thing i know people have dropped off but i still love it and i i've i'm one of the people waiting for riverdale to return so you know nice i i tried to do riverdale but then it just seemed i wasn't catching up so i was like i can't do it i can't catch up it's it's not for everyone but i'm a i'm a sucker for it and i don't i'm not ashamed i don't care I loved uh, Sabrina. I watched all of that. That was uh, that was super cool. Definitely my aesthetic. Riverdale's my aesthetic, but I really like the Archie comics. So hmm. I don't know. Maybe I should give I it think, another go. I think it's a great aesthetic. It, the the issue mostly with Riverdale is how much of the drama can you take? Yeah. Because like if once it once it becomes too much, even I'm just like, all right, fucking chill out. Like it's not, it's yeah. not that serious. This is weird. <laughs> I'm also. It's hard for me to like keep, um, like to remember exactly what's happening. So when the new season comes out, I'm just like, I don't know what is happening right now. What they're up to season six? Is I think so. And they, j- I think so. they did a time jump too. Oh no, nah, I'm out. I can't do that. My brain <laughs> yeah. can't deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think, I I do think like this is currently one of their better arcs that they've had in a while. Um, but it's still, it, it's, it's just because like, it was so clear that a lot of the drama that was happening was like adult based drama in being, while being 17. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. You're not yeah. going to school. How are you getting by? And now it's like, okay, well, you're 26 and you're like having struggle trying to figure out who you want to sleep with. That's, that makes more sense. Uh, that's a bit more believable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to put it out there that I'm really excited for the revival of Gossip Girl. So I'm not ashamed I, of that one. <laughs> I've, I've not seen it, but I feel like that's the only reason. Um, Ariane, who is my other co-founder of the site, is obsessed. And we just sent an email to hopefully uh, get some early screeners for it. Awesome. But uh, they're super excited. And yeah, I'm like, I'm yay. But it, also, it was just never something I got into. So Yeah, I think it was just something that I got into because after the OC finished, I was just like, I need more teen-centric television shows. And look, the OC, they're super rich. Gossip Girl, they're super rich. I come from a dirt-poor family. It's unachievable for me. So it's nice to just daydream for a little while. (laughs) That's that makes sense. That I can I can see. 
I feel like, because I, I love the OC. I remember watching it, Ugh. but I never like followed it. So like I knew a lot of stuff. I don't even remember how it ended. I don't think I saw the finale. Uh, Second um, Summer got married. That's cute. <laughs> Did <laughs> I ruin mean, that for you? <laughs> no, not really. I, there's no part of me that's just like, God damn it. <laughs> like, I wish I saw it, but there's, I think, um, so I, I didn't really have that, like, oh, I need to get that next teen drama. Like, yeah. it, it, it's something I I'm, I can be a little pickier with, where I'm like, I don't I don't need to watch every single YA TV show movie thing. I can, I'm like, this seems interesting, this doesn't. Yeah, there was heaps of YA stuff happening around that time as well, because I think Vampire Diaries was kicking off probably when I finished high school, so around, two, about, I finished in 2007, so maybe 2008, 2009, Vampire Diaries came out. I'm pretty sure because it was I started high school in 2007, and I one of my exes was like obsessed with it. Yeah, okay, that makes sense because my younger sister loved it, but she watched it a couple of years later because she was yeah. you know 14 or something. So my but then that was like, no. <laughs> that was also like Twilight Time and yeah. um, and then eventual Hunger Games and and, and and all that stuff too. It it. YA just took over for a, a good minute or two. Yeah, absolutely. And I used to be a YA uh, book critic. And oh. so I was reading all the YA. And um, a new movie is coming out called uh, There's Somebody Inside Your House. And it's based on a book that I abs- I've read it in one sitting. It's going to be so good. I hope it's an amazing slasher. I think the name of the author is Stephanie Mills or Samantha Mills. Stephanie. Do you know who's making the movie? Not too sure. Um, okay. The news came out quite a while ago, so I'm not too up to date on it. But yeah, I reckon they should. There's some really great YA thriller horrors that they could turn into slashers, and it'd be really cool. Slashers, my thing. I love it. I want yeah. to. Um, lately, one of the things I've been wanting to do is sort of like write more about horror because I think horror is my genre that I love the most. Yeah. Um. And I've talked to a few people, and I think that, like, if I were to pick a specific, like, subgenre, it's 100% going to be slashers. Yeah, nice. I do slashers or supernatural. Yeah, I, I, do, I do love the, like, I know slashers typically is, like, the ones that have the least to say about some sort of stuff. Because, like... What? <laughs> sometimes. 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 We... we we know that there's garbage out there. Like, oh, yeah. there's, but I mean, like in terms of uh, all the other genres that or subgenres that we can sort of tackle, uh, slashers is, is sometimes the ones that have like they're harder to find, at least for most people to see with their naked eye. Yeah. Um, so that's something I was like, this is why I would also want to focus on them. It's because I know most people to this day who are still just like it's just a body count, and I'm like, no. Yes, but not just. <laughs> There's so much more to this. If you sit here and watch this scene at this exact moment, this does that. And people will be like, whoa, how do you know that? Uh, we're just, I we're just, watch this differently to you. <laughs> the same person. I've seen, there's there's a few like pitches in my head of, of stuff that I've had. Um, but like, I've seen something and I was potentially also not sober, but... Um, Watching it, I was like, oh, this is so much more layered than I could have ever possibly imagined. Yeah. 
I think I'd go with Supernatural because uh, Supernatural is one of those ones that really terrify me. And so I know what scares me and maybe it'd scare other people too. Yeah, I th- I, that works. I think uh, it's just like slashes are just easier to put on also. Like there, there is the, yeah, the, the Supernatural ones can actually get under my skin more that make yeah. it harder for me to fall asleep as someone who's already afraid of the dark. Um, yeah. Which slashers still are not the easiest thing to fall asleep after, but uh, what do you, I just, you know. I fall asleep watching horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I fall, I will put a horror movie on at like 9.30 at night and then just fall asleep because I'm exhausted. Yeah, I'm we're like, desensitized oh. to it though. That's the thing. True. Like, yeah. like there's... <laughs> Yeah, like I, I can, I can just watch something and then just go outside and be like, anyway. So um, this happened I just today at work. Thirty-seven people will be slaughtered, to, like, and people will be like, "What? Oh, it was a movie. Don't worry, it was a movie. It's fine." Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of amazing. There was this one kill that was just like <laughs> the blood sprayed in one way, and people are just like, "What's the matter with you?" And I'm like, "Listen, it's a fucking art, and just yeah. <laughs> bear with me." It's so funny because I have a friend who um, introduces me as, hey, this is Kat. She has a horror empire. And I'm just like, nobody wants to hear about horror movies. <laughs> like, not at 10 o'clock at night while they're doing tequila shots, all right? <laughs> Thank you. I would love to take tequila shots and listen about horror stuff. <laughs> it's just like, not everybody's into it. Like, this person, she is into it. And so that makes sense. But I'm like, I don't think everybody likes horror the way that you and I do. <laughs> I would literally take a shot and be like, fuck me up. Let's go. Tell me. Tell me all about it. (laughs) See, that's me. I can't, not that I can do shots. I could be stone cold sober, have a shot of tequila and still manage to throw it up like 30 seconds later. It's my body is just like, no, sip, sip your alcohol. (laughs) I like shots. Shots are fun. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the last time I did a shot, to be honest. I'm too old for that now. <laughs> I think it might have been like, no, it might have been my birthday. That I makes sense. A, I had a feeling. I have a feeling I did shots at a fundraiser for a uh, one of my favorite alternate music venues, but I really don't remember that night. So, I, it's possible I did a shot that night. I don't know. It's safer to assume you did than didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just assume I did the shots. I don't know. <laughs> So um, we're actually, let's talk about our movie before I get into <laughs> my weird alcohol uh, experiences. Uh, so you and I are actually doing a two-parter on this because we're doing the first film and then the second film, which is super exciting. So we're talking about It and It Chapter 2, but not It Chapter 2 today. That's uh, that's next week. Uh, why did you choose It? Two, that, um, 2017, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I think part of it is because, as I said, horror is my genre, but the other genre that I run to the fastest are coming-of-age films. Yeah. And I think it both, I guess both parts count, but um, primarily the first one is like a perfect blend of both of them. Both traumatizing and terrifying the way growing up can be. Um, but also like very authentic to, to what it might be like. Mm. Um, so I think there's, and and I have a soft spot for both these films. Like, I think I saw both of them in theaters 
two or three times. Wow. And uh, they just sort of like, there's something that I want to revisit often. Like there isn't, it, there's not that many times I want to revisit something, but I have seen in the past month or so since we've talked about this, both of them three times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, not entirely like always paying attention to every moment per se, but like they're, they're comfort movies, which is like a super weird, as, as we said, like that's how we are, but um, they're just very easy to like fall back into these characters. Yeah, I feel like a lot of Stephen King's horror movies are comfort films for me. Uh, even the originals that haven't been remade yet. So I, I love Salem's Lot. I love uh, Needful Things because that's just a crack up. Uh, I have a real, I just have a real soft spot for Stephen King. I need to see, I need to read Stephen King because I have never yes. really read a full novel of his. Because I, tr- <laughs> I, mean, I, I tried it. In preparation for the film, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I got like four hundred pages in. Oh wow! And, but it was like literally like the first fifteen minutes of chapter one, and I was like, "Okay, well, I don't know what to do now." Yeah. Um, so I was like, "Why am I going to keep reading?" I was like, "But I want." It's definitely something I want to do one day. Yeah, um, it's his films are sort of like. I think I'm more familiar with some of the bigger ones, but there's a lot of blind spots that I've missed out on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you have The Stand, which is uh, now a miniseries. I think there was, like, an original miniseries. Don't watch that one. Watch uh, Then there's The Dome, which is really cool. That's a smaller book. Yeah, Under the Dome, yeah. Under the Dome, yeah. And um, Pet Cemetery, the original, cracks me up. I love that movie. Needful Things is probably one of my favourite books because uh, it's about a man who comes to town and sells people the thing that they need the most at that point in time. And they kind of make a deal. And it's uh, you, it's really cool. I, it cracks me up, that book. Uh, Carrie is a really good read. Um, and I'm reading, I've been slowly over the last six months reading Doctor Sleep but I just haven't found enough time to sit down and read. But now we're in lockdown, so I probably will. <laughs> See, that was one I wanted to read, but also was uh, I'm going to yell at Freddy because I <laughs> I wanted to do that movie first. Like, I know he had done it already by the time the offer came up, but it was like that was my first choice. And so I'm just like semi-mad that he was able to do it <laughs> because I love Dr. Sleep. We are we we made a deal to get uh, we're going to get Mike Flanagan uh, t-shirts made. So we're going to make a Mike Flanagan fan club and get t-shirts. And we're Can you say you're also going to get uh, a tattoo? I actually I have listen, one planned. I, I listened to the episode because I was like, <laughs> uh, <Thank> you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it really was like a point of like just anger. Where I was like, God damn it. Um, I actually have one planned now. I haven't booked it just because everything's always up in um, right. up in the air here. But you know the scene where uh, DeCalloran is sitting with younger Danny at the bench and he hands yeah. him the box? I'm getting like a like neo-traditional style of the box with like some flowers and yeah. So, and that's where you keep all the bad things, the box. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I think because he mentioned uh, the hat, yeah, which was like, cool. which I was like, that's so simple. That's great. Um, I I want my, more tattoos. I recently tweeted out about how I want to get. I was like, I don't know which one I want more to go back into a movie theater because here in Ontario they've been closed since October. Um, or I want another tattoo. <laughs> I haven't been tattooed in like two and a half years, so. I got one in October, right before we uh, oh, no. like everything shut down. Damn it! Um, it was I. I love it. It's it's like a little tombstone with just the word "nope" and it's on oh, my I knee. I love that. Um, and my parents, who are not happy with tattoos, they were <laughs> not happy with this one because. Oh, really? Yeah, it's more so because like I've had I have two one on my back that says "Fight off your demons" and one nice. on my arm, which I'll try and show you. I don't know if you can see it, yes. but it's like the yin and yang for day and the moon for day and night by Kid Cudi. Oh, yeah. uh, I love that song back in the day. I love it, and I love Kid Cudi, and it, to me, it's like the ups and downs of like me dealing with uh, my anxiety and depression growing up. Um, so, like, these are things that are super meaningful. And then the note graveyard or tombstone <laughs> is just, like, a flash sale. I love like my The tattoo artist who did the yin and yang one had just put it up on Instagram. And I nice. was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then when my parents asked what it meant, I was like, um, um no, I, I was, like, saying goodbye to negative thoughts. And they were like, okay, fine. And I was like, I pulled that out of my ass, and I love it. I'm going to tell you right now, I have 17 tattoos and only maybe two of them mean something. <laughs> See, I want to get that. I told my mom recently I'm going to get a sleeve and she was not happy because she's like, once you get one sleeve, then you want the other one. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's how it works. That's yeah. fine with me. I have patchwork. So I have like um, just bits and pieces on my arms and legs. Uh, but my sister recently went and got two tattoos and she has uh, like a part of her hand tattooed. And I was just like, dude, no. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, well, I, because I'm becoming a teacher, that's just like a, the one place I cannot get tattooed. So I know. I saw, yeah. I recently saw someone with a sleeve and I was like instantly jealous. And then I looked and they also had uh, tattoos on their neck. And I was like, I probably wouldn't do that one. No. My partner has a sleeve. He's planning another one, but we actually have to travel over to Western Australia and it's actually cheaper for us to fly to New Zealand than it is for us to fly to Western Australia. It's, yeah, it's like $800 okay. return to Western Australia, but like $500 return to New Zealand. So it's it's a weird, you know, juxtaposition, really. Definitely. I just know <laughs> I, want, I want more, and I have many planned. And... Oh, yeah, I've had... And, and the funny thing is, like, I came home with my septum pierced when I was 18. And my dad, I'd already had a, few, I had a few tattoos at this point. And my dad was like, that comes out of your face, doesn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, good. I was like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> I have things drawn on my body that are basically permanent unless I pay to have them removed. And you're worried about a septum ring? What the fuck? Yeah. So, See, my family's pretty chill. I, I, I told my parents about all three of the ones I have. My mom came with me to get my first, the one that was on my, my back. My dad came with me to get my first, too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but I think at like this point moving forward, uh, I'm just going to come home and be like, hey, Ma, look. <laughs> Are you old enough to do that? 
you're old enough oh. to do it. Uh, my partner is, uh, you know, uh, he turned 37 this year and he still, like, hides tattoos from his dad. Because <laughs> his dad is an old Serbian man who does uh-huh. not like tattoos. <laughs> but he's cool with mine. He's like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to hide mine only from my grandma. That's it. She's the only person I'm going to hide it from. Oh, I live with my grandma. That won't work for me. <laughs> she she saw the one I got on my arm, and uh, she smacked my arm where it was. <laughs> Thankfully, it was like it was like when she finally saw it. It was the day I was going in for a touch up before I went in, so it wasn't like oh okay good <laughs> at all fresh. But she would have done it anyway. That's so funny. Oh, okay. I love tattoos, everybody. Just so you know. Me too. I'm, I'm planning on. I just want horror movies. I'm actually getting one that says frig off somewhere <laughs> because I just want the writing like frig off. Uh, but it's got to be somewhere where my students can't see it and tell their parents about it. So <laughs> it'll probably be like on my leg. Oh no. Cause I might wear dresses and shorts or something. It's going to have to, I don't know. We'll figure that out when it gets to it <laughs> on my butt or something. Um, so let's talk about it. Chapter. It's just it. It's not it. Chapter one. But it's technically chapter one. I know. I, I, I usually call it just it. It. And we'll call it it. I was just clarifying it. It, the first one. <laughs> Before the <laughs> sequel. But the remake. Um, have, you've seen the original, haven't you? With Tim Curry? Yes, I have. That gave me nightmares, that movie. Just I don't like remember it. when I first saw it. I must have been like 12 or so that we went oh, yeah. to it. I was about the same age. My aunt was like, I and... watched this movie. I think it was, I couldn't tell if I wanted to be scared or thought it was too silly. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Where it's like, is this scary, funny, silly? I don't know. Now watching it, that's how I feel. But as a kid, I was like, Tim Curry terrifies me. But he he does do a really good job as Pennywise of balance that like Mm. friendliness of it all and also terrifying. The creepiness, you mean? I don't think he's friendly. I think he's just fucking creepy. <laughs> he's really, he attempts to be a little friendly, but it's not. Right. It's not. It's not the extent that we get Pennywise in these films. Yeah, true, very true. Okay, let's let's give a little intro to the film. So, seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine, which is fictional. I had to Google it. Are about to face their worst nightmare: an ancient, shape-shifting evil. Emerge, uh, that emerges from the sewer every 27 years to prey on the town's children. Banding together throughout one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their fears to battle the murderous, bloodthirsty clown known as Pennywise. Um, I love that Stephen King can just come up with the most batshit insane idea and it still works. It's so out there. Sorry? It's so out there and you're like, yeah, sure, of course. Yep, Stephen King, gotcha. All right, cool. Because <laughs> Pennywise is from like, and he's an alien from another dimension that came to Earth and just hangs out there. Yeah, pretty much. Because it like classifies <laughs> as like cosmic horror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the film is directed by. Would you like to introduce the director? Because I know that you have something to say about this. Yeah, I'm a little upset. So like, um. He goes by Andy, I think it's pronounced Muschetti, but uh, Andy Muschetti, I can't remember where he's from off the top of my head, but his name is my name, and it's Andres. And, like, uh, I remember when he was 
making ways with the first it uh, originally he was going i believe by andres and i think mama also was credited as such i think uh, so yeah i i can't fully remember but at some point he like was like no i'm going to go by andy and i as a fellow andres who's like other people are going to learn how to say my name he took that away from me yeah. and you know it's upsetting <laughs> it's silly but at the same like i there's one of my close friends here here who i've like i've gone to like a coffee shop or i've gone somewhere and they like ask for your name and like i don't have the energy to be like this is how you say my name this is how you write it so i'm just like it's andy like i don't really care you're not going to yeah. see me tomorrow so it's fine <laughs> and my friend just looks at me and goes your name's not Andy. And I was like, I know, just shut up. We're not dealing with this. It's not worth it. it. Yeah. It's not important. Like it doesn't really matter. I mean, like the only thing that I ever get is they always put cat with a K and I was like, no, how do you spell cat? (laughs) Cause my name is spelled with a C. It's Catherine. It's spelled with a C. And it's just like, no, not, I'm not a Katrina. (laughs) Do I look like a Katrina? <laughs> a lot of Katrinas in Australia are like Greek and beautiful Greek goddesses, and I do not compare to that. I, <laughs> I am white bread. I am a cat, obviously. Um, so the film's written by Chase Palmer, uh, Carrie, 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 yeah, uh, Fukunaga, and Gary Do- Do- Doberman. Doberman. That's how you spell Doberman, isn't it? I believe so. Like the dog. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Not that this person is a dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the film stars Jaden, uh, oh, I wish I knew how to say this, Lieber? Lieber her? Because it's a, definitely a Deutsch name, and I know that they don't pronounce bees in Deutsch. So <laughs> I don't think I've heard of that since Also starring Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, Chris. Uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor, Sophie, Sophia Lillis, Finn Wolfhard, uh, Wyatt Olaf, Chosen Jacobs. I love that. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, Nicholas Hamilton, and Jackson Robert Scott. The film had a budget of 35 million US and at the box office earned 701.8 million. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize how much it made. Yeah, I didn't until I saw, like, obviously when I was researching, I was like, holy frickin' shit. Good. I mean, it deserves it. And I mean, it's one of those films that's pretty, because it was advertised quite a lot. There was a massive marketing campaign here for that, uh, from what I remember. And so there would have been people from the It original days, people who've loved the book, and then, you know, Bill Skazgard fans, because that's exactly why I was there. Um... (laughs) Well, even, like, you had Finn Wolfhard from, like, um, Stranger Things. That's it. I was going to say Stranger (laughs) Days. And I was like, what? Wait, no, that's not it. Uh, But there's a couple of recognizable uh, people. Like, the the young cast. I think the cast was... I think Finn was the only one from the original, like, the the kids, the losers, that um, were known prior. Because, like, I'm a huge fan now of Jack Dylan Glazer, and but I'm pretty sure that it was because of 
it. I don't remember what else he had done prior to that. What has he done? I feel like there was one thing. Um, well, he's in Shazam. Um, oh, that's right. And he also did uh, a TV show called We Are We Are Who We Are. Um, that's not what I'm thinking of. Oh, do you know who I'm thinking of? The kid from The Conjuring, who was also in Haunting of Hill House. That's oh, who I had Julian, in my mind. Yeah. Julian, yeah. I love him, too. Him Who's in his WandaVision? Yes. Yeah. And so that's why I've got him in my head. And I was like, he's not even in it. <laughs> <laughs> he's great, too. Yeah, he's fantastic. Always thinking of Mike Flanagan. I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> Just Mike Flanagan all the time. Um, so at least we know you're another member of the Mike Flanagan te- uh, fan club. Oh, like absolutely. Yeah. We're doing it. Please, okay. please uh, add me to this group chat. <laughs> I um, <need> a group chat. <laughs> yeah. Also, while we're at it, I kn- I know Prince is obsessed. So like we're we're, oh, yeah. we're gonna have we're gonna have Prince in there too. And like we'll have the, we're gonna have a Discord server just for Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how many people would be in that. Many. That we need to do this right after this episode. <laughs> we are doing it. People are gonna be like, "You guys are fucked." But the people who appreciate it are going to appreciate they, it a lot. So. They won't think it's fucked. They'll think it's great. Um, so the film starts with an open shot of the town and we see the caption, Derry, Maine, October 1988. Comes down onto a beautiful ha- I love the houses in this suburb. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm tr- So Maine I'm, is a kind of semi-coastal, semi-rural area, isn't it? I'm not too sure. I'm Canadian. I'm not sure either. Okay, well, um, it looks nice. We're going to say yes accents. for the I, I do know that the sh- uh, both the first and the second were shot around Toronto. Oh, okay. Nice. So the um, the house, the Niebold house, was shot in Toronto that I passed by a few times. <gasps> um, but I think primarily was shot in Hamilton, I want to say, if I remember okay. right. But uh, it was shot here. Yeah, because I know that there's lots of um, concessions made for movies being made in Toronto, uh, made in Canada. It's the same here, so that's why Thor yeah. was shot here. So <laughs> in Adelaide, of all places, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> was it Matrix Four just finished there, or yeah. is? I don't know if they're well, done. Well, they filmed but... the original Matrix here too in Sydney. Yeah, I actually got to go see like the green, like the green stage. Like where they okay. did all of the special effects and stuff. So that was really cool. Jealous. I was like 12. <laughs> Amazing. I, I saw the second and third one in theaters and I was 10 years old and I shouldn't have. But <laughs> what an experience that was. <laughs> My dad let me watch The Matrix when it came out. We didn't go to the movies and see it, but we did rent it and watched it. And dad was like, this is fine. <laughs> Yeah, dads do that. <laughs> yeah. I've watched so many movies I should not have watched as a kid because of my dad. My dad was like, because my parents separated, and my dad was like, yeah, I guess this is okay. As long as I watch it with them. Yeah, I, I think I stumbled onto The Shining when I was nine. Uh, that would have been traumatizing. Yeah, I didn't use a washroom for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand why, but it was... Uh... Yeah. It was scary to go in. Yeah. Um, So we meet Bill and his younger brother, Georgie. 
um, who is really cute. And also I just want to, I wrote a comment here. It's like, I love the surnames that Stephen Gings gives to characters because they sound so fancy. It's true. Bill Denborough. I was like, that's fancy to me anyway. Every one of their names is like perfect in their own way. Mm. It's really cool. So Bill is making a paper sailboat for Georgie. Uh, he's named it the SS Georgie because Georgie wants to go outside and put it in the gutter. Is that what, do you call it a gutter? I would. I've, I don't know if I would. Universal term? I think if someone said it, I understand it. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I think, I don't know what, I think I hear gutter and I just think of bowling. Oh, Okay. Because we call it a gutter here. I don't know what it's called everywhere else in the world. The stormwater drain pipe thing that runs outside your house. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but I also don't. It doesn't matter. Uh, true. So I love that um, Bill is telling uh, Georgie, you know, don't be at war, I'd come with you if, if I weren't dying. And Georgie's like, you're not dying. <laughs> You didn't see the vomit coming out of my nose this morning? <laughs> Ew. That paints a picture. Yeah, I was like, he's I would consider that dying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Georgie goes outside and puts the sailboat in the gutter and lets it set sail down the street in the rainwater. He chases after it and he accidentally runs into a roadblock. The boat keeps on sailing and eventually goes down into the sewer. He runs after it to try and catch it, looking into the sewer to see if he can grab it. As he does, a pair of yellow eyes appear. The eyes belong to Pennywise, who introduces himself to Georgie uh, as Pennywise the Dancing Clown. He offers him his sailboat back, and when Georgie reaches for it, Pennywise grabs his arm and sinks his teeth into him, ripping his arm off before dragging him into the sewer with him. Awesome opening. Incredible. One of my favorite like movie openings ever. It's haunting. And it's especially because I think uh, when I saw it, it was soon after I had read that part in the book that it was sort of like, this is definitely like the best possible interpretation of it. Like it, yeah. it, it feels identical, but it's so good. I feel like some directors and writers really do a justice to Stephen King's writing as well like it feels like he's there writing alongside them mm -hmm. that's really cool because um, I know uh, it's Palmer and Fuganaga their original draft had leaked and I read part of it um, and then Doberman came in and sort of like rewrote and changed it um, but they still, all of them, I think, like, had such a good grasp of who these characters were and, like, and most importantly, how terrifying Pennywise can be. Yeah. And the opening sets the mood. In the, these films, I'm just like, you are so hot, and then this. And I'm like, hmm. It's possible. It happens, I guess. How do you do it? But, I mean, I've watched so many interviews with him, and obviously everyone's like, how do you do that smile? And he literally, that's his mouth, which is yeah, terrifying. I, I always think about the, um, about the fact that Andy had asked him about the eye thing, and he was like, oh, I can just do it. Like, I don't have to, it's not CGI. And he just, like, does the eye 
where it faces the opposite way. And he's like, okay, great. That saves money. All right, good. We can do this. Um, I love how the blood, like, just seeps out, seeps out into the water. Mm-hmm. And the woman's just looking down, like, what's going on out there? And then they just never notice. Why doesn't she call the cops? Because adults in very main suck. Uh, true. And we, we see that a lot in this film. So eight months later, a shot of a storm drain is shown as the film's title appears, followed by the words June 1989. So I was born a couple of months after this, which is exciting. <laughs> so I was I was getting cooked up at this time. <laughs> I was baking. Uh, so we meet Mike Hanlon, who's played by Chosen Jacobs. He is with his grandfather on their sheep farm. His grandfather's trying to get him to kill a sheep with a bolt gun. And Leroy lectures him about how it's his role to do this and his responsibility before taking the bolt gun from him and killing the sheep himself. So, yeah, I this was sad because I just hate, like, I eat meat, but I was vegan for, like, four years. <laughs> and it's still sad, mm-hmm. but I know, at least I know where my food comes from. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's It's definitely, like, too real and, uh, like a like a clinical look at it all. Yeah, yeah. That uh, it just makes you uncomfortable watching it. Definitely. I'm just like, ugh. So it's the last day of the school year and Bill and his friends, Richie, Eddie, and Stan. I love the dynamic between all of these kids. Mm-hmm. It's the so, Losers Club is amazing. Yeah, it's so natural as well. And I think it's because they are that age. They're playing mm-hmm. the age that they are. It's really good. Cool. And I... I th- I think what it really ends up depending on, because they're also kind of the loudest people, but it's Jackson Glazer and uh, Finn Wolfhard, and they're like, their dynamic, yeah. everyone else could just be silent for an entire scene, but they're just yelling at each other and, and like laughing and swearing, and I'm like, this, this is what I remember about being 12. Yeah. Like, this is the most realistic version of it. Yeah. Tired of like twelve year olds who don't swear. No, we swear a lot. Oh, or yeah. we I, they don't know how to stop. I said shit a lot. Because I was like, that's the worst word I can possibly say. Yeah, you're like, this is cool. I am cool to swear. And then eventually you're just like, it doesn't really fucking matter, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> And so they're all heading out to start their summer. And on the way out of school, uh, they run it, you know, Henry Bowers, who is the school bully, runs past them. And Richie says, oh, shit, as the boys pass him. So we've got Belch uh, and Vic. And he's <laughs> Richie says, think they'll sign my yearbook? Dear Richie, sorry for taking a hot steaming dump in your backpack last month. Have a good summer. <laughs> And I love Richie so much. He is me because he's just this sarcastic, um, you know, he just is bitter at 12, but funny about it. I, I, he is the best character, I think. And I, yeah. and I think the same spoiler will go into the second film. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's him that ends up making the movie most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Henry makes fun of them and Bill tells him he sucks, <laughs> which I thought was so funny. I was just like, oh, good one, Bill. Um, uh, Henry goes to, you know, 
staunch Bill, but stops when he sees his father, who is a police officer known as Officer Bowers, standing behind Bill. He turns to walk away, but not before he licks the palm of his hand and wipes it down the side of Bill's face. That is gross. I would have thrown up. (laughs) Also, it does feel... I mean, everything feels a little different post-COVID, but like that... (laughs) (laughs) Good God. The three times I watched it this in the past while, I was like, every, every, every time... That was like me when I was watching, I'd watch movies or a TV show when people would be out doing things. And I'm just like, we are in a pandemic. And I'm like, oh, wait a Go home. I'm watching a movie. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. It was just a weird, like, transitioning over to being locked down. Um, so we meet a young girl named Beverly Marsh who is in the bathroom smoking. A group of girls who are basically the popular girls uh, Greta, 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 and uh, some the other girls aren't named, but uh, they accuse Beverly of being a slut, which is really horrible. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel for Beverly. Obviously, we'll go into why. Um, one of the girls grabs a garbage can and tips it over Beverly's head. It fills it with water before doing oh, so, which is oh, like wet mm, garbage. Made it so much worse. Um, back outside we see Bill, Eddie, Richie and Stan dump their notebooks and a whole bunch of other school things in the trash. I was, I was a hoarder at school. Like I would keep all my books from the previous year. I still have some from my, from elementary <laughs> school. So like, I wish I was just like, school's done? Fuck it. It's over. <laughs> I wish I could have done that. But yeah, I was just like, oh no, I've got to keep all this. I had no reason to. Eddie says to the boys, hey, what do you guys want to do tomorrow? And Richie says, I start my training. Uh, Eddie again says, wait, what training? Richie says, street fighter. (laughs) Eddie replies with, is that how you want to spend your summer inside of an arcade? To which Richie responds, beats spending it inside of your mother. (laughs) Puts his thumbs down and says, oh. And I love that they hate each other so much they love each other. I know. They're my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> they just, it's them too. Just the, like, they are the comedic, um, you know, relief throughout this whole film. And it's just so wonderful. Because that is teenage boys. Like, my brother was like that at, you know, 12, 13. And I was like, you can't say those things. <laughs> You're 12. Because when he was yeah, 12, my, I was 22. Yeah, my cousin was like that. And he would like, he said some things and I was like, yo, stop what you're doing, please. Yuck. I hate this. Whatever you're doing, I hate it. Um, Beverly finishes her cigarette and leaves the school. As she does, she runs into the new kid, Ben. Uh, ben gets picked on for his wait a lot and doesn't have many friends at the school so Beverly feeling quite empathetic and passionate towards him grabs his yearbook and signs it for him which I thought was really nice being the only person that does so yeah yeah and then spoiler for chapter two Ben is the hottest dude on the face of the earth so y'all slept on that I am I don't want to get into it now but like the reveal (laughs) of him getting hot is so upsetting because I feel bad for the guy that they make you assume is Ben. 
Yeah. And then they're like, then they're like, they pull away and do the, the reveal, and they're like, nah, he's attractive, and it's just that like, hot. the other guy is fine, but that's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> that's just really a pet peeve. Yeah, I yeah, I can say that. How do you how do you cast that person? Hey, by the way, you're gonna be the person people <laughs> expect you the, the overweight teenage boy to become Aww. before we re- pull back and reveal that he's actually hot. How do you advertise that? <laughs> exactly. What's what's <laughs> Oh that poor guy. He's like, I could have been Ben in this movie, but I'm not. <laughs> He had to be hot. And I'm not hot. Thank you, Andy, and casting directors. <laughs> oh, that poor guy. I want to go hug him now and just be like, it's okay. <laughs> um, so Bill gets home and his father berates him for creating a model of tubes of the sewer system in Derry. Bill believes that he'll be able to find Georgie because he's only missing. But his father tells him he needs to accept the fact that Georgie is dead and not coming home. And, um, yeah, his dad's really horrible in this moment because um, obviously his parents have done the grieving because it's been eight months and they obviously just want Bill to move on with his life at this point and be like, okay, it's cool to – it's uh, not cool. It's okay to admit that your brother is not coming home. We have, and it's you're now, we see you struggling. And obviously a parent's going to get frustrated at a particular point when they're trying to communicate with their child. This is loss. It's like, deal with it. Yeah, like but it, it it speaks again to the theme in both films about uh, the adults who just don't understand and they don't see things the way that the kids do and they will never understand that point of view yeah and they're always just on the other end and bill is very convinced that he's going to find his brother and i mean the whole premise of the story is that he does but it's not the way he thought he would Mm -hmm. which is you know um sets up this whole coming of age as well not just everything that happens before it uh, we see Mike uh, making a delivery to the butcher shop and uh, he hears what sounds like screaming and banging. He hears a woman screaming his name and burnt hands emerge from behind a door. Uh, Mike walks towards the door slowly. Uh, the hands disappear and the door bursts open. Inside, Mike sees what looks like a sheep hanging from some rope. He breathes nervously. Then the shadowy shape of Pennywise appears and waves at him as his yellow eyes glow. Suddenly, Mike hears the revving of a car engine and looks to his right to see Henry, Belch, Vic, and Patrick speeding straight towards him. Mike quickly jumps out of the way. So we've kind of got a montage going on about what all these kids are doing in their school holidays, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Stan at the synagogue, who's studying for his bar mitzvah. He sees, he, we see him in the office. And there is a painting of a woman hanging uh, above, I think, on one of the sides of the walls. And the woman's face starts to distort. The painting falls. Stan picks it up and the woman has disappeared. When he turns around, he sees Pennywise, who has manifested as the woman with a 
big uh, smile. Stan absolutely legs it out of there. So they're all having interactions with Pennywise at this point. Yeah. He's coming for him. Uh, ben is doing what I probably would have been doing in my school holidays and hanging out at the library. <laughs> Uh, reading about the history of his new town. Now, Ben is super into the history of his town, and I yeah. love it. Um, so he's reading a whole bunch of articles, uh, learning about how the children in Derry have Derry have been disappearing in mysterious circumstances for as long as history has recorded it. One of the books that he has contains a picture of Pennywise and a missing boy's head in a... What? In a tree? Tree. There we go. Because... I was doing text to like talk to text at this point okay. <laughs> and so it hasn't picked up that word and I'm just like that's not the right <laughs> word in a tree so Ben is lured into the basement with noises of laughter wait have you did you notice the librarian in the background no so I strongly re- recommend at least re-watching this scene but the scene in which He's given all of the books and stuff. Um, the librarian is in the background, and as he's going and the camera zooming in closer and closer, they keep cutting back uh, to a wide, and you see her in the back just sort of, like, standing, staring at him. And oh, sort of creepy. does, does like, the almost the Stanley Kubrick-like stare, where, like, the head's down, but the eyes are, like, still looking up, and uh, it's just, like... Yeah. And it's doing the stare from the from the back. But at first, I think she's like mid to the end of the bookcase. And then as uh, the scene progresses, it moves closer and closer. So there is the idea that it's, it, one, it's terrifying. It's one of like the most mm-hmm. subtle scares, I think, in the film. But it's also Pennywise like giving the books to him and being like, are you ready? Yeah. Read this shit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he's in the basement and he's chasing around, like, footsteps that he's hearing. He's looking for something and he comes across a headless boy, uh, which absolutely terrifies him. And then he is chased out of the basement, out of the library by Pennywise, which terrified me. I was like, oh no, fuck this. I don't know what it is. And the thing is, like, I'm not afraid of clowns. Uh-huh. At all. Like, it's not a thing that I'm terrified of. But Pennywise, fuck that shit. <laughs> fuck that. No. See, there are, there are, like, I'm not typically afraid of clowns, but there are a few where I'm like, if I were to see you, I'm out. Like, I don't I don't want to deal with it. There's no mm-hmm. reason I need to look at your face. You're terrifying. Um, to go back to, like, the original, the Tim Curry one, like, I don't think Tim Curry's design didn't look intimidating yeah i th- i think um this does this one look? does oh it's like i don't know if you had seen it but um the 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 child's play remake yes yeah so like buddy who's the new chucky is sort of like doesn't that doesn't look like a doll that i want to get for a kid that looks oh, intimidating creepy. and scary from the beginning. <laughs> Chucky's like, is like, okay, yeah, I can buy that and I could give it to a, a nephew or a, a, a niece or, or, or something. Um, and then it goes wrong and that's the whole point. But with Buddy, it's like, no, that's terrifying from the jump. Like, there's no point in me where I'm like, 
yeah, Pennywise, I'll approach you. That's fine. No, I see yeah. you. I'm walking the other fucking direction, no matter where I'm at. Out. Oh, and oh, yeah, because I just wanted to bring it up in um in chapter two when Billy's standing on his old street and just won't go anywhere near the gutters. Yeah, I did that for a long time after watching the original it. <laughs> That's fair. Like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I, I would not uh, like go anywhere close to the sewer at all. No, no way. Uh, so after Bill dashes out of the library so incredibly fast, he's making his way home when he is attacked by the Bowers gang. Henry's mates are, you know, holding him up against a bridge rail, and one of the boys, Patrick, wants to burn Ben with a lighter and bug spray. What the- also, teenage boys are fucked, aren't they? Yeah. Also, this was the part in the book that I got to when I watched the film, ah. which is why I was like, the movie hasn't even started. I'm not going to keep reading. What the hell? Um, it's really sadistic. Henry, even before what happens to him, is just so fucking horrible and vile. And yeah. Stephen King has a really uh, great way of bringing these characters into books because we know these kinds of people exist. And that, uh, Stephen, the way he writes it is just so real to life. It feels both matter-of-factly while also super angry to do so yeah like it's like i'm angry that they exist but they do so here you Mm. are exactly and you know um in christine the way he writes all the characters in that i love that film um even you know archie i fucking hate but love in that film and that's just how it is (laughs) i love to hate stephen king's characters but henry bowers i do not love um, because he decides he's going to carve his own name into Ben's stomach. Fucking disgusting. An old couple roll by attacking Ben and do absolutely nothing about it. Although they do make an illusion that the people in the car are actually Pennywise, because as they drive away, we see a red balloon in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, Henry only manages to carve um, like an H, before Henry kicks him in the nuts and dives over the side of the bridge and rolls down towards the woods, which I thought was the most badass escape. <laughs> it really is. It's definitely like pushed to the edge. He's like, I, I, I'm getting out. He's like, see ya. And he's just like, out. He's just out. And I was really impressed by it. Um, so the teenagers in the gang are chasing after him. Meanwhile, the Losers Clubs are hanging out in one of the sewers because Bill has somehow managed to convince them that they need to help him find Georgie. And they've, they're like, all right, we'll go down into this shit-covered <laughs> sewage. And Eddie, this I love, because Eddie's mum uh, has Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is like a quite common thing for some parents, mothers in particular. Um, and, oh, no, sorry, he says this afterwards, so we'll get to that. But Eddie is not impressed that they're there, um, because he's convinced he's going to die. So Ben comes bounding down, lands into the water right in front of where the losers clubs are, and the guys pull him to safety. One of the bullies, Patrick, uh, runs, uh, he runs into one of the sewer entries thinking that Ben has gone in there. Unfortunately, he runs into a bunch of demonic-looking children that scare him and make him run further into the sewer towards a dead end. I love this part, where all the balloons start floating 
um, in the sewer. I thought that was so cool. Um, and then they all pop at once to reveal Pennywise, who then devours Patrick. Mm-hmm. I love this scene. I don't know why, but every time I get goosebumps, and I'm like, oh, I really like that. It's just it's so perfectly timed. Mm. It's a beautiful and scene. It, and and it's, I think like a lot of say um, about scares and jump scares it's all about your like expectation and waiting and, and stuff and while i do think i think the second one does a bit more about like trying to defy what you're expecting um but this one is like where we we know what you're waiting to happen it's gonna happen and we're still gonna get you yeah <laughs> it's just so yeah like you said everything throughout this film all the scares are perfectly timed it's just ah chef's kiss the Um, this 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 one is like perfectly edited it has it's like the right amount of time length of it um it just flows so well that you don't even realize that it's like two and a half hours yeah or like or almost or something but it's just it just zooms by and i think that's also one of the reasons why i as i said like it feels like a comfort film like it's just One of it's those so ones simple. that you can put on and be like, ah, it's good. And you're like, oh shit, three hours passed. Well, oh, oh my god. <laughs> so the boys are coming out of the woods and into town because they're going to go to the pharmacy to help uh, Ben fix up his stomach. And Eddie says, I think it's great that we're helping the new kid, but we really need to think of our own safety. I mean, he's bleeding all over, and you guys do know there's an AIDS epidemic happening right now as we speak, right? My mum's friend in New York got it by touching a dirty pole on the subway, and a drop of AIDS blood got into his system through a hangnail. A hangnail! And you can ampu- and you can amputate legs and arms, but how do you ha- amputate? How do you amputate a waist? You guys do know that alleys are known for di- di- dirty needles that have AIDS, right? You know that, don't you, guys? Hey, <laughs> like he's just so overly cautious, and his transformation is my just so beautiful. Like his coming of age is great. His uh, his scene with his mum later on. Oh, really so great. Cool. We'll get to we'll get to it. Yeah. So they go into the pharmacy to grab some things to help clean Ben up and they don't have any money, but Beverly is there <laughs> buying tampons and she overhears them talking. And she decides she's gonna cover their butts as they basically steal a whole bunch of stuff and get out. So she flirts with the chemist and compliments him on his glasses. Oh god, no, I can't even this scene makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um but they're also like the shot of her looking at the many, many brands of like tampons. It's like there's, it's so well done. And then when she's like, fuck it. And she just grabs one and then turns around and there's boys. And she yeah. was like, uh uh-uh, uh, no. Uh, and, uh, uh, but this scene I, is that uh, Beverly uh, lives with her single father. So. She hasn't had her mother figure around, which really sucks. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's the, I think it's definitely like one of the big themes for Beverly is the like super gross uh, over-sexualization of her. Yeah. Um, so the fact that like one of her, the, the intro to the scene is her trying to like decide which brand of tampons fit best yeah. for her. <laughs> um, but then just to have like, when when the pharmacist sort of says like you can be my Lois Lane, I'm like no, please no, just fucking that. die. You're disgusting. Yeah, it's really horrible. 
Uh, and yeah, I was going to actually bring up the fact that Beverly is com- incredibly oversexualized, and a lot of the most uh, like bloodiest scenes happen with Bev as well, which is yep. you know obviously her transforming and coming of age, and you know symbolism of how um, she is moving from you know being a child into you know what we socially call womanhood. <laughs> Which is still gross. I hate that whole concept because <laughs> that's even sexualized as well. So there's a lot I could say about that. Um, so Beverly goes out and helps the boys tend to Ben's large H-shaped wound on his stomach. Later that afternoon, Bev goes home and her father um, says some pretty disgusting things to her. His name is Alvin. Um, and he's, he's a really massive creep because he's been sexually assaulting his daughter. And so she comes in and says, hi, daddy. And he says, uh, hey, Bevy, or what you got there? And obviously whatever she has brought home from the pharmacy. And she says just some things. And he says, like, what? So he takes a bag from her so he can look inside, then looks at her with a somewhat threatening smile and puts his hand on her neck and lower cheek. Then he puts his other hand on her hair before gently pulling her closer and sniffing her and says, tell me you're still my little girl. So Bev goes into the bathroom crying and cuts off all of her hair. And it's really heartbreaking that Bev does this because it's obviously her trying to desexualize herself by cutting all her hair off. Like turning herself into a like non-sexual yeah. entity, basically. <sighs> yeah, it's really horrible. And he's the only adult that she has, so it's really sad. Uh, yeah, I really like Bev's transformation. She's really cool, and she's really cool in the second film too. I really like. I think, her. I think she's her her character is also um, one of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. She's really cool. Um, they're all the boys, including Ben. So he's become part of the losers club. Are uh, all hanging out at the quarry, and they're getting ready to jump into the lake. Uh, they're too scared to do anything and out of nowhere Bev comes in and just dives in and I love it. (laughs) She just yells at them, I'll go sissies and off she goes. She's in. See, I don't know how to swim, but that scene like is like terrifying. Oh yeah, me too. Like, okay, I'm gonna just jump off that high and just be like, I'm good. Also, the water is like super shallow, at least parts of it. Yeah. So I don't even... I don't, I don't understand the logic of that part, but that's another thing. I've had a friend jump into water similar to that, and she her, injured herself so badly she was lifted out by helicopter. Holy so I'm like, shit. oh, I won't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, later that afternoon, they're all sitting around <laughs> staring at Beverly as she sunbakes because they're just like, she's a girl? <laughs> so. When she looks over the and they're like, no, I'm not looking, I'm uh, not looking. But they're playing um, Buster Move on her cassette player, which is really cool. Um, ben shows the club all the things he's uncovered about Derry, saying Derry's not like any town I've ever been in before. They did a study once, and it turns out people die or disappear six times the national average. Richie looks at Stan, finding that to be very alarming. <laughs> <laughs> 
so they all hanging out and they're they're explaining the history of how uh and and ben does go on to say that children die at an even higher rate and uh they actually do talk a little bit about um mike hanlon's past as well because his family died in a fire which was really scary um i've had family members pass away in a house fire and it's yeah it's terrifying Uh, Eddie is walking home when he passes the abandoned house on Kneebolt Street. He is suddenly attacked by a leper who's asking him for money, causing Eddie to run through the house's yard. As he reaches the fence, he sees Pennywise trying to lure him towards the house. Eddie manages to dive under the fence and narrowly escapes Pennywise. I love this scene because it's so fucking creepy. Ugh. Why is he under the fence? How did he get into the yard? If there was a that's so it's a weird thing. I think it's a fence to a different part. Oh, a different yard. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, Bev is later in her room examining a postcard that she's read from a secret admirer. The postcard has a poem on it that says, Your hair is winter fire, January January embers, my heart burns there too. Uh, she puts the postcard up to her chest and smiles. Next second, she hears a girl's voice whispering from the sink. And it's just uh, repeating her name over and over again. Um, she gets up and walks towards the sink and she's hearing, help me, help me, please. Different voices coming out of the sink. This is probably my favorite fucking scene in the entire movie. Um, she she leaves the, the um, bathroom and goes into the living room. Uh, where her father's asleep in front of the TV and she grabs a tape measure, which I thought was a really clever idea. Uh, Going back into the bathroom, she starts lowering it into the drain. Uh, Suddenly the tape rattles. Um, Oh, I wrote what happened here. Oh, no, I've got it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Beverly tries to lower the tape further, but it won't go any further. She then starts pulling it back up. At the end of the tape comes uh, a blood covered thread of hair suddenly the clotted blood and hair wraps around beverly's wrist like a tendril she attempts to get it off but another one shoots out of the drain grabbing her other wrist the tendrils pull her arms out to the sides or to her sides without warning multiple tendrils emerge from the drain wrapping themselves around beverly pulling her closer as to the drain as she screams blood oozes out of the drain then shoots out like a fountain right in Beverly's face and all over the bathroom. Beverly jumps away from the sink as the blood continues shooting out of the sink, then stops and the tendrils retract back into the drain. But I love this scene. It's so good. The fact that I could like sprays in her face. Yes. It's so fucked. (laughs) So good. I just, I love like nightmare on Elm street blood scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, just give it to me every day. (laughs) Um, Beverly's dad comes in because Beverly's screaming and he doesn't see anything wrong with the room. He simply makes a nasty comment about the fact that her hair is too short and she looks like a boy and then leaves. Yeah. What an asshole. I fucking hate his dad. (laughs) Um, At Bill's house that night, water is dripping from the ceiling onto his beautiful picture that he is drawing of Beverly. Um, He gets out of bed, goes to the hallway closet and collects a bucket to, you know, for the dripping water. As he closes the 
closet door and carries the bucket to his room, the light in Georgie's bedroom suddenly turns on. He puts down the bucket and walks towards his brother's room and looks around. He walks in and picks up Georgie's Lego model of a turtle and sits on his bed, sobbing quietly to himself, still unable to believe he's dead. A shadow is seen on the door then disappears. Bill looks up and the sound up at the sound of running footsteps and stands up and walks out of the room. He sees footprints going downstairs to the basement. He follows the footprints um, uh, where, down into the kitchen where he sees a small figure clad in a yellow raincoat run into the basement. He gasps and drops the model, which breaks on the floor. He follows the figure down into the basement and silently in disbelief whispers Georgie. Um, he walks... Uh, I've lost where I am. I was so intense. <laughs> so down in the basement, um, which is filled with water, in the corner next to a shelf stands Georgie. Bill can hardly believe his eyes. I lost it, Billy. Don't be mad. And Bill says, I'm not mad at you, Georgie. And he says, it just floated off. But Bill, if you come with me, you'll float too. And I love this scene because he just keeps repeating, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. And there's just like the intensity that this like, like you'll float too is just so crazy. I love it. It also like adds to the fact that he's decaying like in front of yeah. him mm. and like rotting away and it's like this makes it so much grosser and more yeah. <laughs> vivid. Yeah, it's really I I really like this scene for that because in a way I think Pennywise is also trying to tell Bill that his brother is dead. Like hey I think he's just trying to like dead. fuck with him. Also I don't think he, he's mostly just like I'm gonna get you too. I've killed your brother, and you're next. Yeah. Uh, Pennywise roars and charges at Bill. This part fucking terrified me. Uh, uh, Bill panics and runs back upstairs as Pennywise nearly grabs him and slams the door to the basement. Uh, Pennywise slithers away. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> he's just so gross. <laughs> <laughs> It is like the little slow pull back as he does slither away that it's like, oh my god. Yuck. <laughs> uh, the next day, the Losers Club stop by Beverly's house. Bev is revealed to discover that the boys can see the blood in the bathroom and that she's not imagining the entire thing. They all get together and they help tidy up all of the blood. Um, I love this scene. Yeah, me too. It's, it's um, so sweet. Yeah. It's a real bonding moment for them, isn't it? Yeah, and it's because they see it, but at the same time, it is the they they're understanding that they're on the same page, just knowing what's happening. They're not they, they still haven't figured out about um, Pennywise per se, like in mm. a literal form, but they they're aware that something is up in the air. Yeah, that something isn't quite right in Derry. Um. Also, this is a real turning point for Bill because it's basically a confirmation of his series theory that the sewers are all connected and that they're contributing to this supernatural happening in their town. And um, so, yeah, that's a bit of a like a big transformation for for Bill in um, yeah, giving him a bit of self confidence, I think. And he's like, "Yep, I knew I was onto the right shit." <laughs> um. 
So the next day, the Losers Club are hanging out and riding their bikes around when they see Mike's bike left um, basically on the side of the road and Henry Bauer's car is also there. They go down to the creek to find that the gang are harassing Mike for being black. Bev picks up a rock and throws it at Henry's head, which starts this huge rock-throwing fight between the two groups of kids. Amazing. (laughs) Which I thought was such a kid thing to do. Uh, Henry's eventually knocked unconscious by a rock thrown and they all walk away together. Uh, they kind of have this discussion back um, uh, while they're walking about how they've all kind of seen Pennywise. Um, you know, Eddie says that he's seen um, Pennywise at the house. Mike saying what he saw when um, they, he saw the hands in the door. And, you know, Bill talking about what happened in his sewer. Um, So Richie says he's the only one who hasn't been haunted by Pennywise, but tells the group that he's scared of clowns. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, oh, fuck no, I I haven't seen him, but I hate clowns. So they go back to Bill's and they're hanging out in his garage because they're trying to work out the sewer system and they find an image and put it up on a projector, which I thought was really cool, but then I remembered that it's 1989. So I was like, oh, yes, okay, that makes sense. I was like, oh, a projector, that's really cool. It's like Insidious. Um, But I remember what year it's meant to be. Um, So they find an old picture of the Neibolt house uh, and kind of make the connection that they think that's where Pennywise lives which I think is quite clever. Um, So the projector starts to whirl on its own, showing images of Bill and Georgie with their parents, but with Pennywise um, popping up over the top of the pictures of their mother, which uh, I thought was really fucking nuts. I I think this is my favourite scene. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. The way it just like it builds and it builds and it builds, you're just like make it stop. You're you're just like the kids. Do something please. now, please. <laughs> uh, so Pennywise comes out of the screen and tries to grab the kids. They all scramble out of the garage and get away from him before he can do anything to them. So basically, I love where they're planning out how they're going to get to the house. They're going to face Pennywise and they're going to kill him. And I love this because they're just like, we got to do it. And um, so they end up going over to the house. Um, and so who's on the outside keeping lookout? I can't remember. Is it Stanley? Yeah, because it says Richie, Phil, and uh, Phil, Richie, and Eddie go into the house while the others stay outside and keep a lookout. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Richie finds himself on a missing poster on the wall in the house, which is really terrifying. And um, Bill reminds him that it's not real and everything's going to be okay. So Bill kind of holds them all together in this series of events. So Richie ends up getting separated from his friends and, oh no, Eddie, sorry. Pennywise manages to find him. When he does, he falls through the floor and lands in the kitchen, breaking his arm. Bill and Richie are desperately trying to find him and they come across um, three doors, which I thought was a really interesting concept. Uh, what did it say on the doors? Um, I think it was scary, very scary, not scary at all. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so in one of them, there's a girl in there. 
Uh, the second door is a room full of creepy dolls, which that I would have been out. I would have been like, nah, fuck everyone, I'm out. I think that's a different room. Oh, is it? Because yeah, that's the that's the room that Richie originally runs into. into. Yes, and yeah. then and then Pennywise pops up out of like behind the casket because there's the like the dead body of his self. Yeah, which is. Which is really interesting because I know that the whole concept of Pennywise is that he reflects back to you your most inner fears. Which is really good. Yeah. Which I th- might have been the dolls slash clowns and himself just dying, I guess. Mm. Since he was also afraid of him being one of the missing children. Yeah. that Yeah. Because he does talk about that quite a lot with um, the girl who had gone missing earlier, um, Betty. Betty or Betty? Bet. I can't remember. But they, they do talk about this girl quite a bit throughout the film and, and her being missing. Um, so Pennywise jumps out from behind the coffin and tries to grab Richie, but he runs out of the room uh, and they eventually all get to Eddie before Pennywise has the chance to eat him. I love this because Beverly is so heroic in this scene. Um, and she shows up and drives like a, what does she have with her? Like a spear kind of thing. I don't know where she got that from. I want to say it was like from the fence or something from outside. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was like a metal Pole blade, not blade, blade, but it was like, it, I feel like it might've been like one of the top parts of the, of the fence Yeah. that might've fallen down. She just shoves it right through his head, which I thought was so awesome. She was really cool. Fearless. Um, so, like I said, one thing that needs to be mentioned is Eddie's mother, who I have diagnosed with Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, in this scene, um, basically, his mother tells... he She shows up at the house, and the mum stops him from... Well, tells him he's not allowed to hang out with the Losers Club... And he's no longer allowed to see Bill and Richie. At this point, Bill and Richie also end up getting into a massive fight. And Richie says that Bill's want and need to find Richie has almost gotten Eddie and them killed. Um, so they all part part ways. And um, they're basically too scared to continue going on and trying to defeat Pennywise. And you kind of do see Richie and Eddie's relationship reflected in this. So... <sighs> But there is one part where Richie says, Eddie was nearly killed, and he gestures towards the wounds on Ben's stomach and says, and look at this motherfucker, he's leaking hamburger help. God, it's bad, but it's funny. It is, um, because it's just typical teenage, like, almost teenage kind of stuff. Yeah, because I don't think, like, he was ever meant to be rude in the way he was making fun of or poke poking fun at some of them but he was just it comes off of us it really does but richie is that person and he is just very blunt with things that he says and and it continues on into the second film yeah yeah (laughs) um so beverly says we can't pretend it's going to go away ben you said so yourself it comes back every 27 years ben says fine i'll be 40 and far away from here i thought you said you wanted to get out of this town too and beverly says because i want to run towards something not away and richie says 
gesture, gesturing towards Beverly. I'm sorry, who invited Molly Ringwald into the group? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just give me one second. Sorry. <laughs> Family. Um, so... Days later, a depressed Beverly is sitting in her room. She's playing her little electronic piano, which I thought is really cute. I had one of those too. Billy's moping around in his kitchen, stands at church, giving a speech before a crowd of people. Um, sitting amongst the, the crowd is Richie. Um, and Mike is at the abattoir and he actually shoots his own sheep. Ben is sitting at the library all alone and glances at a painting on the wall. Um, back at her apartment, Beverly is soaking in the bathtub and sees one drop of blood, most likely missed when she and the rest of the Losers Club were cleaning the bathroom. So we fast forward a little bit to August and the members of the Losers Club have continued on with their lives. I mean, as much as you can in a summer, I guess. <laughs> I got a little bit dramatic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So Eddie goes into the pharmacy one day to pick up some of his medication. While he is there, Greta tells him that his medication is only placebos and they won't do anything to help him, which I thought was really interesting. Um, <coughs> Henry Bowers is hanging out in his, because he lives on like a farm kind of thing, which I thought was really cool. And they're all shooting things with his dad's gun. He tells one of the guys to bring him a cat to shoot. Fucking hell. Thankfully, his dad shows up at the right time and takes the gun from him. <laughs> this is another part where we're talking about adults being shit. Yeah. Um, he pokes fun and, like, destroys pretty much Henry in front of all his friends by shooting at his feet. Yeah, and he's like, horrible. see, he's just scared. It's so sad. Fuckers. Like, who does that? That's just parental abuse yeah uh later that afternoon I, I also love this scene uh later that afternoon henry sees a red balloon tied to his letterbox when he looks inside he sees a knife it's from pennywise uh, he goes inside and sees his father asleep on the couch watching tv on the screen appears a woman with a bunch of children and they all tell henry to kill his father Henry takes the knife and plunges it, plunges it into his father's back, and um, it's his basically, neck. oh, it's his neck. That's right. Yeah, it's like in here. Because I think it's, I think it's like a switchblade too, yeah. right? Or like, because he just puts it in and then he flicks it and it goes in, and the oh, I didn't fear. Even notice that bit. I want to say because he puts it in before his dad reacts, like he, yes. uh, but then he like opens it so it goes straight in. And that's when he's like starts trying to grab at his at his neck yeah. and stop it, and it's so insanely because you can sort of see him like the thought process of like, okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna kill my dad, and it, it's haunting. And it just seems like rational to him as well. He's like, oh, okay, yep, let's do it. Uh, his dad is basically bleeding out on the couch while all the children who are actually Pennywise's victims are chanting, kill them all, kill them all. And I was just like, wow, that's brutal. Um, so I'm going to put a massive content warning in this part. You might want to skip forward like 
three minutes, five minutes. Um, it is for child sex abuse, uh, sexual assault. Um, yeah, please skip ahead. There's no problem in doing that or just stop listening. It's totally fine. Um, so that night at Beverly's house, her dad attempts to sexually assault her. Uh, fuck, I hate her dad so much. Um, Beverly kicks him right in the nuts and <laughs> then kicks him in the face, which I was like, oh, damn. Real badass. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I've had enough of your fucking shit. <laughs> um, she runs into the bathroom and locks herself in there. Alvin walks towards... Uh, uh, toward... Alvin walks into the hallway, then glances to his right. At the closed bathroom door, he walks towards it and tries to open it, only to find that Bev has locked herself in there. He turns around, walks away turns towards the door and kicks it open. He walks into the bathroom looking around for Bev before turning his attention to the closed shower curtain and pulling it open. The second he opens the curtain, Beverly jumps out and bashes him in the head with the toilet tank lid and he drops to the floor. Shaken by what she's just done to him, Beverly steps out of the bathtub, drops the toilet tank lid um, and... Uh, watches him as he just blood pulls out of his head. (laughs) Uh, Which I was just like, well, I mean, if she went to the cops and was like, my dad was trying to rape me, I killed him. It would be self-defense. It would be self-defense for sure. I, that's revenge in its best form. Just self, like, not going to jail, I guess. (laughs) Um... Beverly looks at him for a few seconds, and as she turns to leave the bathroom, she comes face to face with Pennywise, who grabs her by the throat. This scene gets to me every time. Yeah. It's really horrible. Um, Just that whole scene in general. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen King has a habit of writing some... Not... And I haven't read the way he writes it, um, so I can't really speak as a right like as a reader but these scenes when they're brought to movies aren't done in a bad way like mike flanagan scenes in um uh, gerald's game mm-hmm. like um mm, it was done uh and i can't say tasteful because i don't ever think it's tasteful it's not tasteful but it's 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 more like caring in a weird way of uh of like not only the victim but also the viewer and like it's uncomfortable but i'm gonna hold your hand through it as opposed to just this is what it is because like as as we said earlier like his 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 villains and his and his gross characters are like just matter-of-factly as is right as opposed to sort of like I don't know. I I recently wrote a piece about Flanagan and some of like trauma in his films, and um, I only brought up a few of his of, of his films. But I think that Flanagan finds a way to like. He's never going to tell you that things are going to be always better or like as good as they can be, but yeah. he's always going to tell you that we're going to survive. And, and and that's his way of sort of doing like, I have to show you how bad things were so that you know how things could be better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's not done in a way where it is abusing the context and the subject and topic matter. 
Right, especially because like a lot of horror films, like even we go to uh, the extremity extremity of like rape revenge films, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 gratuitousness of it all, like, it never gets that extreme. There's there is way more care on the subject matter as opposed to just like diving completely in, but at the same time, it is still very tough to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And with rape revenge films, like you know what you're going in. Like you yeah. know what to expect when you're watching those. And you know, you watch those if you are prepared mentally to watch those. Yeah. I don't watch them because I the violence for me is way too much. I'm like, whoa, I can't do it. <laughs> I think I've seen a few, but some of like like the ones that uh I guess like so iconic in a way that they must or like they they ask to be watched or people like you know the ones that are like um that people are react like surprised when they find out you love horror but you haven't seen this and and, and stuff yeah. so like um i don't it's not a genre that i necessarily want to dive too much into um mm. at least cuz you especially in the older films like they definitely don't feel like they had that like even like the content warning idea like in mind right mm. there it, it's more so like we're just going to use this we're going to show nudity we're just going to they're not really thinking it through as much in a way that's yeah. what it feels like at least yeah no i get that I, I definitely feel that and and i do have a tendency to research a film before i'm going to watch it especially if i have a feeling it might be in that rape violence thing just cuz i can't i can't stomach it i yeah, even Evil Dead with the tree rape scene is too much for me. So yeah, it's a and, and problem. I love it's the rest weird. Of that film. I love the rest of that film, but it's, yeah, the, it's I, the scene that I'm like, I rather not watch again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bill goes over to Beverly's house um, and makes his way into the bathroom. He finds her dad dead in the middle of the floor, and um, sees. Uh, the words you'll all die if you try written on the wall in blood and I was like uh no Um, this is where Bill realizes Pennywise has taken Beverly so he goes to the other members and he's trying to round them all up and get them all going to rescue Beverly in this fantastic montage scene because you know what in every coming of age movie what do we have a brilliant montage scene Always. They're needed. Always. Absolutely. Um, so Bill is going to everyone's house. He's rounding them up. He's like, you know, firing them up. And eventually they get to Eddie's house and his mother tells him that he's forbidden from joining his friends. And he basically tells her, my, he says to her, I know about the placebos. And he says, my sickness? Okay, what sickness, Ma? And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his bottle of pills. You know what these are? They're gazebos. Biggest laugh ever. <laughs> Every every time at her on the floor, <laughs> I love it. And she's so confused, and she's like, she's "What? Like, what? Gazebos?" <laughs> and it's just such a great point in his character development. And you know, I I love that for Eddie because he sheds this overprotective mother figure, and he's now making decisions for himself. And it's just so great in his little character arc. I love Eddie. Me too. <laughs> so uh, the group get their shit together and they head over to the Neil Bolt house. 
In the centre of a home is a well where they've all presumed. I can't say. Assumed that Pennywise was <laughs> down there. So, um, meanwhile, we see Beverly, who's laying unconscious with blood um, dripping onto the floor. And she wakes up looking around, slowly um, looking around and sees a massive pile of toys. Which I thought, this this is so cool, his, like, lair in a really creepy, weird way. And she almost loses her balance and peers down into a deep hole before her legs give way, causing her to fall into a puddle. She looks down to see a wall emblazoned with Pennywise's face and the words, Pennywise, a dancing clown. Getting to her feet, she looks up to see numerous bodies levitating high in the air around the mountain of toys. These are the kids Pennywise has kidnapped throughout the summer. Realising she is now inside Pennywise's inner sanctum, Beverly runs to a nearby door and struggles to open it. Uh, She sees Pennywise and says to him, I'm not afraid of you. And he replies with, you will be. So, uh, he's so creepy because we see his teeth and his eyes and his, uh, we hear like kids screaming, help me around the place. And I'm just like, this is really terrifying. Because the lights in his mouth are the dead lights. Yeah. Which is something... Yeah. Takes, like, holds all the kids in that floating thing. Yeah. It's something that I've only more so heard about while looking into the movie, but it's not really described or explained in either film. Okay. Um, But it's definitely, like, more of the cosmic horror aspect of him because that's, like, the true nature of who he's supposed to be. Yeah. From what I understand. Yeah. Uh, Because he kind of just the way his mouth morphs as well and like opens up with like the dead lights inside and his eyes aren't there and it's just more very animalistic and alien-like rather than him being an actual living breathing thing with a conscious it looks just very like that's all gone right yeah all i care about is eating children's souls (laughs) kids in general uh so the guys are all uh, abseiling down the well, which, you know, at 12, I couldn't abseil. It scared the crap out I, of me. I wouldn't know how to do that now. No, no thanks. I'll rock climb, but it's the coming back down bit that I can't do. <laughs> uh, but, unfortunately, Henry makes an entrance, <laughs> and before Mike can make his way down, Henry attacks him at the top of the well. Henry starts to pull the rope back out of uh, the centre of the well so the boys can't climb back up. He then tries to kill Mike with a nail gun that he brought along with him. I was like, what the fuck? Um, So Mike manages to fight him off and launches him down the well, sending him to what would have been quite a painful death, I believe. I'm pretty sure, definitely. (laughs) He definitely died. He should have. No. He doesn't. He doesn't. He should have died. He (laughs) should have died. Especially because there's no sound of like him hitting like he's just falling yeah so i have no idea where it goes like we know in the second one where somehow he ends up in the water but um yeah not sure yeah they don't get into it yeah they don't explain that there's none of that sorry you don't get to see that (laughs) uh so the boys uh head further into pennywise's lair um, and Stan is attacked by Pennywise, who is, you know, um, 
uh, parading around as the woman from the painting. And I love this because the woman just like munches on Stan's head. And, and it's just really gross. And I was like, oh. Poor Stanley. I know. It was so um, heartbroken and sad because of it. Because of him getting munched on the head. Well, it was that, but it's also like he's the forgotten friend constantly, also. Oh, yeah. He's definitely the one on the outskirts of the group. But he's very quiet, yeah. so. Um, they get rid of Pennywise and they all comfort Stan. Um, and I wrote, they comfort Stan and he's chewed on head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> This is what happens when I, like, talk to text. I'll just say whatever comes to my head. And I'll be like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, so the boys eventually find the centre of the lair where the toys are and the deadlights. And they see all the victims floating um, in some sort of trance. And amongst all the children floating is Bev. And the boys grab her and bring her out of the trance um, and get her out of there. Because she's not dead. Um, at the corner of his eye, Bill sees Georgie come out of the shadows. Um, Georgie tells him that he's missed him and he's been waiting for him to come and get him. In what should have been a really touching moment, um, uh, Bill knows that it's not Georgie. Uh, so, writhing around in... I can't remember what happens between this bit and the part where he transforms back into Pennywise. Uh, if I remember right, he sort of... He starts saying something, but again, he references the boat as an it, but it's a, uh, you call boats women, or she. Um, and he sort of, like, just comes to grips with the fact that he's gone, and that he misses him, and, and stuff. And But he also comes forward with the fact that he wasn't really that sick, and he just sort of... Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very emotional moment, and I think he uses um, he uses a nail gun on him, which no longer has any uh, nails left in it. Mm. So it's just like an empty thing. But it's, it, it's the act of potentially doing it, that the belief in it, which is what causes the transformation. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Because I've seen this movie maybe two or three times. And I actually really like this whole part of the film. It's just really touching in a way. Yeah, I I spoiler, but I find the second part very emotional. Yeah. Um, and I think the first one, this is like the first real. There 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 are parts that are like hinting at that uh, at those layers, but they don't mm-hmm. get into it as much until this moment. Um, but the act of him using the nail gun, I don't think they do it in this. One I can't remember, but I know the original, the 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 one with Tim Curry. There's like the the asthma, where it's like the asthma sort of gets them, and it's like it, it the puffer, I should say. Um, and it, there's nothing inherently that's going to actually harm them, but because they believe in the power of it, that it sort of changes. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really, I think it's a really childlike um, element which makes this part of the film really magical and heartbreaking and sad. And <laughs> yeah. And it, and it works because the whole Pennywise gets his powers from your fear. So the moment yeah. you don't have that fear, he loses the power. And then once you believe that you are 
able to harm him. It's going to work. It's it's yeah. weird mind over matter in an extreme sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, so the clown uh, who is tra- the Georgie who's transferred transformed back into Pennywise um, tries to kill the kids, but they manage to fight him off. Uh, but he has a um, hold of Bill, and Pennywise gives him an option: they can die together, or they can leave Bill with him. Bill tells everybody to, to get out, run away. Uh, but Richie decides he's going to stay and fight back because they're no longer scared of him. Um, and this really uh, cool moment just before Bill does shoot him. He doesn't get to shoot him because Pennywise retreats into the darkness and mm-hmm. um, he doesn't come back out. All of the kidnapped children start to slow down and float back towards the ground. Which was, this bit got me. I was like, no, no, just stay. You're all dead anyway. <laughs> There's too many kids. There's so many kids. Um, Bill finds Georgie in his yellow raincoat. And uh, Georgie says, what took you so long? And Bill says, I was looking for you this whole time. And Georgie says, I couldn't find my way out of here. He said I could have my boat back, Billy. Bill asks, was she fast? And Georgie said, I couldn't keep up with it. Bill says, she, Georgie. We call boats she. And Georgie responds with, take me home, Billy. And Mike, Richie, Ben, Beverly, Eddie and Stan appear behind Bill. um, And surprised by the sight of uh, Georgie. And yeah, basically. I think this would have been the prior to the transformation, though. I thought this was the transformation. This was after, because this is where he lets him go. I'm trying to remember now. I feel like this would have been what led to him transforming back, but I don't know. Yeah, because then he, yeah. Okay. But it's still sad. Yes, very sad. Yeah. And yeah, it's at this moment that Bill finally just um, enters that grieving stage of you know, accepting that Georgie has been taken by Pennywise and his friends gather around him as he breaks down in tears. Um, that's a, that I cry my eyes out every time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that th- these scenes are the ones for me in this one and then there's a handful in the next one. Oh, the next film just kills me. Like, it scares me, it breaks my heart a million places. I can't do it. Well, I know it's. I'm. I'm gonna end up being emotional during the second one. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it again this weekend, um, because I've only watched it the once and did my notes, and so I'm gonna watch uh-huh. watch it again just to watch it. So, it's the end of summer break, and the Losers Club have gotten together and sworn a blood oath that they will return to Derry in 27 years, should Pennywise ever return to their small town. Okay, so I've never been at any age gone. I'm okay with a blood oath. That's I I don't I don't know why that's like a common thing in like American culture and TV culture. I guess I don't know, uh, but like I've never thought of the idea. Like, yeah, we're blood brothers. Let's do this. Like, no, there's no. I you want to spit in our hands and we'll shake. I'll do that. No, that still makes me vomit. Spit makes me vomit. It's gross, but I'd much rather do that than cut open my hand and shake hands with another person. That's nuts to me. (laughs) Um, And so Beverly's just saying, um, 
you know, I remember how we all felt, how scared we were. I don't think I can ever forget that. And Bell says, swear it. Swear it if it isn't dead. If it ever comes back, we'll come back too. So that's part of their little blood oath. But then there's this scene where Stanley's leaving and he's like, I've got to go. I hate you. <laughs> it's It feels really weird. It's the one scene I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't. But then he just well, laughs it off. I just love it. Um, and then everybody's leaving and Mike says, see you later, losers, which I really loved. And then um, Ben is the last one to leave who leaves Bev and Bill on their own. So we find out that Bev is going to move to Portland with her aunt. She gets up to leave. Bill looks at her, then looks away, thinking for a few seconds before getting up and running right to her and kissing her. The end. It's a weird kiss scene, but... I mean, they're 12, so yeah. Yeah. A little bit weird. (laughs) It's so cute in its own way. It is, because, you know, you were saying that this is also a coming-of-age film, and, you know, what would a summer be for 12, 13-year-olds without a kiss? (laughs) And dealing with a deadly clown. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. So I I have a question for you. What were the parts in this that you saw as, you know, um, coming-of-age? The, obviously the whole story, but, you know, we have elements that are quite obvious that stand out. I've, I've watched Stand By Me a million times. I yeah, know. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's a classic. Um, I think that it's the... Because, like, coming-of-age films, while they're primarily, like, the term is used to talk about films of kids going into teenagehood or whatever, but uh, really it's any transitional period from one to the next and you really see all of these characters sort of go from who they are to to, to this new person and they like overcome their fears they overcome um and as they'll do in the second they regress a little they even there there's that aspect of um seeing friends who you haven't seen in a while that and you become that similar person that you used to be and that's um but at the same time there's like they they no one walks out of this (laughs) unharmed uh or or or, or staying the exact same like there's so much there's so many growths between fighting off their dad being more aware of uh, what it means uh, to take the lives of the sheeps or um, or even like getting away from their mother or, or stuff like these are all different aspects that we all sort of not to the extreme of it but dealt with it in one way or another right like you I can see myself in aspects of all these characters I can see friends of mine in all these characters in one way or another um, and they sort of just, they do it very well. And the characters, yeah. you know, it, it's hard not to, when I think of Stand By Me, all I think about is like the final line, right? Like, um, you never really had friends, the, the the friends I had when I was 12, but really who doesn't? Like, that's all I can think of. And I think of that with it. And you yeah. feel that connection of it, of, of, of that specific moment in summer that like, change their lives forever 
and there's no there, there's always going to be like a post this moment in them in their lives whether or not they remember it all it it, it affected them insanely yeah absolutely it's and it's it's so crazy to think that they did that so well in a horror film yeah and these are like i'm super annoyed and tired at people just like brush brushing horror films to the side and not understanding i i don't know if you saw it but there was a movie called oh, fuck i can't i'm trying to remember what it was called it was like come play or something i've heard of it but i haven't seen it um okay then maybe i shouldn't have said this because <laughs> it's gonna act a bit of a spoiler oh but no don't do that <laughs> I'll, I'll, what, it, what, what i'll just say is like horror films i'm okay when horror films make me emotional like yeah. i want to i want to be scared i want to feel things whether that's making me cry i'm a very emotional viewer uh, or watcher, whatever, but they, I'm okay with these reactions and responses as long as they work within the context of the film. And seeing people being like, I just want a movie with deaths. I just want a, uh, whether it's like possession based or, or slasher or whatever, they just want the basic idea. But I'm like, no, I want to see the crossing of different genres i want to see these yeah. emotions and i want to care and love these characters you know that's something that as we keep bringing flanagan up for like there's no flanagan film i've seen where i don't care about the people i'm watching yeah absolutely agree like i love every one of those characters there are some that might be moderately more despicable than others but i understand them and love them in such a way that like I, I I want them there and I want to see whatever they're able to do and I feel that insanely with these films like these characters and, and these losers are um, they're just great and they're like people that you want to cheer for yeah and you're happy when you see them succeed yeah absolutely I feel like even just the way that it's filmed gives me coming of age vibes Absolutely, and it's definitely it, you, you feel the comparison to Stand by Me. You feel the comparison yeah. to um, other. I want to say like ET, just because of them on bikes, but you know, like there's <laughs> there. Summer you, vibe, you know. Yeah, you can feel that sort of understanding, and because there's even they mention like people like Molly Ringwald, you can see the pop culture at the time and like yeah. how much it felt as what only I can imagine, you know, that year would have been like, can't tell you. I was, yeah, neither of us can. <laughs> I didn't pop out till November. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I can tell you more about like 95. Cause that's when I remember things. So that's fair. I was born 93. I, I can, I can do like 97. Yeah. 97 yeah. S club seven. So fresh. Is that that time? Yeah, about then it started. Definitely Spice Girls. S Club 7 would have been like 97, 98, I think. I remember that. And the Ketchup song. I remember that. That was good times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so before we finish up, I'm going to ask you our uh, like concluding question. What's the last horror movie you spoke about? Uh, you spoke about. You watched. <laughs> when did this come out? 
Um, maybe next Friday, the Friday after. Okay, so I guess I can talk about it. But yeah. uh, Fear Street Two. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm, very, it, I'm very excited for that. I, I'm obsessed. It's I'm I'm. I might watch it after this, to be completely honest, and rewatch it, <laughs> even though I just watched it yesterday. But it is, to to, I guess for other behind the scenes stuff. But it's the second. Today's the second, so like the first one just came out. Um, but it's just, I think there's so much legacy, and there's so much. It's everything that I've been wanting in the slasher for a bit. Yeah, and I'm cool. just I'm just excited for other people to watch it because I know the day that the embargo drops, the day that it's live, horror Twitter is going to flip out. Awesome! I'm so excited. I loved part one. Um, I watched that last night because it's actually the third of July here in Australia. That um, is true. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 started talking real early today and. Yes. Props to you. I couldn't. Oh, I told you I'm a morning person. I got this. <laughs> so, uh, where can listeners find you and your work on the social medias? Um, as we said about Twitter earlier, I think Twitter's the most yeah. active I am. I'm on Instagram and, and, and such, but yeah. I don't, I don't know how to use it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just being honest, uh, my handles at pocket writer um you can read some of my things at theunderseen.com and then also a few other places but if you follow me on twitter i'll just constantly be sharing whatever i do and friends of mine and such trying to share people's stuff awesome well thank you for being such a wonderful guest and talking about such an incredible film with me yes thank you for having me you're welcome um, once again, thank you so much. Please check Andres out on all mentioned places. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me probably mainly on Twitter at catstead underscore. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TGIF Pod. Don't go to Facebook. I don't know why I keep plugging that. I don't use it. Uh, you've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.